0: Om Sahana Bhavatu Sahana Bhunatu Sahavir Yankarava Bahai Te Jasvina Vidvishavahai Om Shanth Ishanth Shankaram Shankaracharyam keshavam badrarayanam sutra bhashya kruto vande bhagavanta punah punaha isvara guru murti bheda vibhagine vyomavat vyapta dehay Let us read from the 8th verse. Abhyasa yoga yuktena, Abyasayoga
1: yuktena,
0: Abyasayoga yuktena, Abyasayoga yuktena Chetasananya, gamina
1: Chetasananya gamina
0: Paramam purusham divyam Yati Partha nu chintayana, Yati
1: Partha nu chintayana,
0: Kavim Purana manusha Kavim Purana
1: manusha sitaram,
0: Anoraniyam samanusmarayad yaha,
1: Anoraniyam
0: samanusmarayad yaha, Sarvasyadhataram achintarupam, Aditya varanam tamasaparastha Aditya varanam tamasaparastha Rayana kale manasachalena
1: Rayana kale Bhaktya yukto
0: yoga chaiva Bhaktya samyaka Purvormadhyay pranam avesya samyaka satamparam purusham upaiti divyam satamparam purusham upaiti divyam yadaksharam veda vidovadanti yadaksharam veda vidovadanti vishanti yad vītarāgāha vishanti Yadichanta Brahmacharyan Charanti Yadichanta brahmacharyam Charanti Tate Padam Sangrahena Pravakshe Tate Padam In this last verse, Lord Krishna says Tattepadam Padam Sangrahena pravakshye. Tat Padam, that's end. <coughs> padam is that which is to be reached. This word padam is used in the Upanishads also tad viṣṇaho paramam padam in Kathopanishad. where it is said how everybody is performing a journey for which everybody has been given an appropriate vehicle in the form of a chariot and how one chooses the right path and ultimately attains the goal so that goal that is to be reached is called padam uh, so that padam, that goal which is to reach Sangrahena Prabhakse. I will tell you that in brief. <coughs> what is so wonderful about that father? What is so wonderful about that goal that is to be reached? Here Vedavidovadanti. He Arjuna, that is the one, that is Aksharam the immutable. Vedavidovadanti, which knows the Vedas talk about. That's the novice of the Vedas or novice of Upanishads that the learned people, the wise people, talk about that father <coughs> which is Brahman, which is God, they talk about him <coughs> and it is said in the, in the di- dialogue between Sejagnya Valkya and Gargi Sejagnya Valkya so Brahmanas, nor of Brahman so they talk about this father, they talk about the immutable God in this way asthulam, ananam, akhrasvam, adirgham Thus, negating all the Visheshas, negating all the characteristics, attributes from that <coughs> So that is that Pada which is free from all the attributes The idea is that which does not require any attribute When we say free from all names, free from all the forms, free from all attributes which means that one which does not require the name, form, or attribute to be an ordinary thing requires a name and a form to be there but that because of which this name and form is so that because of which every name and form is that because of which every attribute is that itself doesn't require a name, form, and attribute so when we say Brahman is is beyond all the attributes sometimes it appears very frustrating to some people because generally we are we are we are used to relating to God having a certain attribute, like Father in Heaven, something is. So He is benevolent, He is kind, something or the other. We always, and it is it is quite all right because God possesses those attributes. But the in the absolute way, even those attributes are also not necessary because even if you think of. Uh, love or beauty or benevolence or anything, you'll find that it doesn't have a form. Beauty doesn't have a form, beauty doesn't have any particular characteristic, really. It is something that manifests through a form. Or love also is something that manifests through a form. Itself doesn't have a form, doesn't have an attribute. And so every form or every attribute is that through which that manifests itself, which transcends or beyond all the attributes. Which means it doesn't require an attribute to be. Because whenever something possesses an attribute, like even goodness is an attribute Then everything becomes limited Because When we say that the flower is beautiful, that means flower is not ugly So beautiful excludes ugliness Everything excludes everything else Even when we say he is a good person, that means that the badness is excluded <coughs> So here we are talking about God that does not exclude anything That is all including or encompassing And therefore, whenever we talk of non-duality, the question always involves when we say that Brahman is the self of all, then immediately a question is asked: Swamiji, are you trying to say that even Brahman or God is the self of this murderer, of this cruel person, of this evil person? You mean God or Brahman is the self of that? Then how come it doesn't stop it? If God is the self of this person who is going to attack somebody else, how, if he is God, how come it doesn't stop it? So these questions arise in our mind when we say that God is self of all. He informs everything. How come he doesn't stop it? Because he does not see the need to stop it. We see the need to stop it because we have our own definition of how the world should be. We have our own definition of how the order should be. And I'm not saying that we are wrong or that we are not, you know, it is okay. It is out of our need that we we desire that the world should be such and such. As Swami said, every opinion comes from a certain need, an emotional need And thus everybody is in need to see the world to be such and such Everybody wants to see it to be right and righteous Except the definition of righteousness varies from head to head And definition of beautiful also varies from head to head Definition of order also varies from person to person And therefore, even if we make a world as ordered by somebody I'm sure there will be another fellow who will have all kinds of problems with that and thus we will find ultimately that if we add up the desires of everybody let us say that we add up the desires of all the creatures that are in the creation then we will have this world if we build world according to desire of one person then it will be some peculiar world but add up the desires and needs of everything that is here then you will find that you cannot improve upon this creation The idea is that whenever we look at the creation of the world from a given standpoint which standpoint arises out of a need anyway There is always some subjectivity whenever I perceive things or whenever I evaluate or judge things Then we find things to be right and wrong and good and bad and whatever Or when you look at it only from a narrow constricted uh, standpoint of time or place and not recognizing an event which will also be dismiss as undesirable. We do not know what effect that event has over a thousand years or five thousand years, we have no idea. And therefore when you take into account the whole time and the whole place and everything that is in here, you'll find that whatever is, is right. Whatever is, is in order. <coughs> So we can say that that is how God abides or obtains everything as the very self of everyone, as the very order. And of course, other we also other day we also said that what appears to be evil really is not the true nature of that. What appears to us as a cruel person also is not the true nature of that person. Out of some difficulty that cruelty is there, out of ignorance. And so whatever evil or undesirable things we see are all due to ignorance. <coughs> that is not the true nature of the thing. If you really probe into the nature of that person, who is so cruel, you will find in the core of that person that same love and compassion and everything that we like to see. (coughs) Anyway, in that sense we are saying that that because of which anything is, that because of which everything shines, that because of which everything is attractive, that because of which everything becomes the object of pleasure, it is that which itself, as we said, doesn't require to have any attribute therefore we say that it is free from all the attributes inasmuch as every attribute always brings about a limitation as we said, I say, a person is good, that means he's not evil he's evil, he's not good, is right, he's not wrong whereas we want God that is all-encompassing that sense sustains everything, that supports everything and that's the reason why he's both in good and bad In right and wrong In dharma and adharma And when can that be? When, as we've been always saying When we find a person appearing as a beggar as well as a king When can it be? Only when is neither beggar nor king And similarly also That which sustains what is right and wrong Can only be so when It is beyond both right and wrong Beyond dharma and adharma (coughs) And so all this dharma, adharma, right, wrong All of these are standpoints Which are necessary For our For our vyavahara, for our transaction and for our interaction and for living a life of order It is necessary to have this definition of right and wrong We don't say we should not have them But we must know that All of these definitions are for our convenience And in the absolute sense All of these will ultimately find That right and wrong, all of these are relative things None of them is absolute (coughs) And God is absolute and therefore sustains the whole relative creation. That's why we say Brahma Satyam Jagannitya. Brahma, a god is Satya, truth, undeniable, non-negatable. and Jagat, all the creation of name and form is nitya, which means that it is an appearance. <coughs> so that is how Veda Veda has. The notes of Vedas, the notes of scripture, when they describe Brahman, how they describe? by negating every kind of a vishesha, every kind of an attribute or qualification. Yadaksharam Veda vidobadanti. Here Juna, it is that Aksharam, immutable Brahman, about which no of vedas no supanishads talk about. Vishandhiyad Yatayaha Vitaragaha. Which Yatayaha? And which the, the seekers enter. Vishandhi, meaning enter. So seekers enter this Brahman as their own self. This is Vishanti. Nakarmanana prajadhanayatyageneke amgutamanashuhu pareyanakam nihitanguhayam vibhradayatyatyav Vishanti. Very often they use the expression, Vishanti enter. The example there is like the rivers entering the ocean. The rivers entering the ocean. When a river enters the ocean, there is no more river at all it comes to be called ocean so far what came to be called a river really speaking the truth of the river is water and truth of the ocean also is water But one body of water as long as it maintains a certain individuality certain identification or name and form so long it comes to be called by a given name I am Ganga or I am Yamuna or I am Mississippi or whatever that's how that body of water comes to be called by a name which is what we call river. When it enters the ocean, what happens? The river is lost? Is the river destroyed? What gets destroyed? What gets destroyed is merely that name and form. The very truth that the river is, that it is nothing but water. That never gets destroyed. In fact, even when it called itself river, it was nothing but water but entering the ocean means now it recognizes itself as water and so that is called entry entry meaning dropping this identification with name and form and identifying with the true nature that I am this is called entering Brahman meaning recognizing that that Brahman or immutable is my own self that this name and form the body-mind complex is not myself and thus recognizing so entering meaning Discovering the identity with Brahman Discovering this truth that I, who take myself to be a limited creature As a small insignificant creature, I am not that The sense of insignificance comes only because I evaluate myself from the standpoint of the body So when I evaluate myself from the standpoint of the body Then my conclusion is that I am a mortal being Or when I evaluate myself from the standpoint of the mind The conclusion is I am a small being when I evaluate myself on the standpoint of intellect, the conclusion is I am an ignorant being. So I look upon myself as mortal, as unhappy, as ignorant. Not because that's what I am, but that's because I'm looking at myself through the standpoint of the body, or the mind, or the intellect. Through the standpoint of the upadhi. Like looking at myself in a, in a convex mirror or a concave mirror and discovering myself as so little and so fat or so tall or thin but that is because I am looking at myself through some mirror and so also the conclusions I have about myself are derived, arrived at because I evaluate myself looking at myself through this upadhi and thus when that is dropped and I recognize myself as to who I am not related to anything, who I am I discover that, that Brahman alone is myself Vishantiyat Yataya Vitaragaha. This Yataya Yatna Shiraha. Those who are striving, the seekers, Vishanti. They discover this Padam with Brahmana as their own self. What kind of Yatis these are? Vitaragaha. Those whose minds have become free from raga. Raga and Vaisha. Likes and dislikes. Attachments and aversions. In short, those whose minds have become free from the impact of the pairs of opposites. So we were told this morning that we confront situations sometimes are conducive sometimes they are not conducive sometimes agreeable sometimes disagreeable when a situation is agreeable i react with joy or relation when situation is disagreeable again i react with aversion so i always react either with embracing something or rejecting something both of these are reactions So, who is the person who is Vita One who has become free from the impact of these pairs of opposites. The idea is that, that is how the universe is made. It is made of what we call Dvandva or the pairs of opposites. Like the two sides of a coin, they always go together and similarly also pleasure and pain always go together. Comfort and discomfort go together. Honor and dishonor go together. How can you just me honor and dishonor are together? I am honored. That time I am not dishonored. But the very fact that I feel I am honored, that means I feel myself elevated on account of something else. So when do I feel honored? When I am elevated on account of something or somebody. Then I am likely to be diselevated also on account of the same thing. What can become right now or today the cause of elevating me can also become a cause of my fall. What can give me comfort? Itself can give me discomfort. An air conditioner which can give me comfort, that can give discomfort by not working. A person who gives me, uh, who honors me by doing something, gives me dishonor by not doing that. The person need not do to dishonor me. Every day the fellow comes and bows down to me, you know. He falls flat. This morning he bowed down all right but did not fall flat, he just, uh, you know, he touched his head all right. I said, how come? And the other day he came in, he just, he just bent down and just touched my feet with the hand, not with his head. I feel that I am not honored. Look at this. So if anything can become the cause of honor, that very same thing can become cause of dishonor. If anything can give me comfort, that very same thing can give give me discomfort. When its mood changes, mood of air conditioner changes, that's all, I'm in discomfort. Sun, which is great comfort, when? When it is winter. The same sun, when it is summer, gives me discomfort. The idea is that this is how the world is. This is how God has created the world. Deliberately. So that we do not get stuck anywhere, that's all. He doesn't want us to get stuck. I doesn't want us to draw any conclusion. Moment I draw a conclusion, this is wonderful. He'll show me another phase of it by which I will say, oh, there's another side also. And thus if we allow ourselves to be impacted by these pairs of opposites, then we can never enjoy a steadiness of the mind. We can never enjoy an independence of freedom of the mind. And usually that is how it is. So, Vidarāgaha, those people who enjoy that freedom, which means that they appreciate that which is beyond this pairs of opposites that means this thing gives me comfort as well as discomfort. what is it in itself this is honor, this dishonor, what is it in itself so rather than relating to merely this appearance one who seeks to relate with what is behind that appearance or recognizes this is also in order, honor also is in order dishonor also is in order and sees order everywhere sees order is something that transcends the pairs of opposites, understand when you say that anger also is in order and compassion also is in order A good behavior also is in order A bad behavior also is in order What does it mean? Order is that that transcends the good and bad, isn't it? How can you see order? Oh Swami, the fellow is very angry he says, oh that is also in order This fellow is very kind, that is also in order What does it mean? Order is that which transcends the kindness and anger, is it not? How can everything be in order? Unless order is something that transcends both of them and therefore one who appreciates order in all these pairs of opposites, comfort in order, discomfort in order, honor in order, dishonor in order, hunger in order, starving starving today in order, getting food next day in order, rain in order, shine also in order. That is nothing but the play of God. When you realize that, this is creator's play. What is order? this nothing but God, creator. He alone manifests himself as this creation every moment. And every moment his appearance is new. No, there's no dullness here at all. There's no monotony at all. Every time, every moment is new, fresh. And that's when I appreciate that. Otherwise you'll get bored with... Suppose somebody keeps on honoring you and honoring you. You know... You'll get bored in that That is why even when in our food we have lots of sweets Which we are very fond of And still along with that we'll have some pickle We'll have some chutney Something that is very spicy Or something very sour Because you keep on eating that sweet thing you know Over and over You just get fed up with it So you need a change And therefore we have very spicy pickle Or chutney or something like that then again you can enjoy sweet. Again you have that. Similarly, also, I guess that is how God has made all this. Thing. If those only, if people say that why hasn't God made a world where everybody is good, then you will get fed up with that goodness. Because goodness you can appreciate only in contrast to the badness. So therefore, He shows the contrast. How come some people are suffering from pain? So that some compassion can arise in our heart. That's all. And thus, when we see. There is a meaning behind everything That's called order It's not only meaning It is the order of God alone manifesting as it And therefore Rather than just looking at The event If I appreciate the fact that In this event Who manifests Is nothing but the order of the creator Then when I see that order Or the creator Or aksharam immutable Like Brahman Then the appearance Does not matter When I pay attention To the actor Who is my friend it does not matter whether that friend comes as a beggar then also I shake hands with him or he comes as a billionaire the actor transcends both of them because and when I connect myself to him it doesn't matter whether he comes as a beggar or he comes as a king otherwise if I take the beggar as a beggar say hey, don't come to me, don't touch me comes as a king, I fall at his feet or something and these are the, this is kind of this is how you are brought up in India you know nobody will fall on anybody's feet, but not necessary. But the point is how I'll treat them differently? If I take the beggar as a beggar, I'll treat him in one way. And king as a king, I will treat him in one way. When I realize that, hey, this is nothing but my, my friend. Like the Halloween, you know, when somebody came and I was scared. A little girl was scared. She screamed, looking at the tiger. Then the The person showed, hey, this is my brother. All right. Then she started playing with a tiger. Then she was playing with a tiger, recognizing that tiger is merely an appearance. And thus, when we recognize that all these honor, dishonor, comfort, discomfort, right, wrong, all of these are just appearances, facades, or costumes, and the one who comes in them is the same benevolent, same god or order there is no problem, no reaction. Let's go vidarāgāha. Those people thus, who, have, who, are, who are able to connect themselves, not merely with the appearance, but with the one who comes in this appearance. This vidarāgāha yatayah vishanti. It is not only enough that we strive, not only enough that we try to meditate, not only enough that we try to concentrate and do these things, but vidarāgāha is also necessary that we construct our mind. That means that we also are, are, are committed Or we also strive to create a mind That becomes free from this raga Raga means dvesha also Paisa vapa vesa Yadicchanto Brahmacharya Desiring to know which There are many who live a devoted life of brahmacharya They live with the teacher And, and follow a life of austerity A life of devotion A life of service a life dedicated to service. A life dedicated to study. It's not easy. To give up all the comforts, it's not easy. To live in a kulam, it's not easy. kulam here, of course, is very comfortable, I guess. Some people find it better than at home also. For <laughs> me, food here is very good. I can understand that way. They don't get perhaps this kind of good food at home. Because people don't have time to cook food every day at home. And here you get warm food morning and evening. So maybe it's more comfortable. But not those who guru- go to Vishikas. Not, don't go to over ashram because that's very comfortable.
1: <laughs>
0: but there are places in which you know, the sadhus actually have to go to what we call Anakshetraya. So, where they are served food. The sadhus, they don't have their own kitchen, they don't have any possessions on their own and for them, there is this Anakshetraya where the food is distributed free. What is that food? Only dal and roti. Roti means bread and dal, that's all. And as they say, you have to search out, there is a dal, some grains of dal are there, mostly it is water. And roti also requires you to do something at coming after coming back, you know. You can't eat it as it is, not possible to digest, not even possible to chew sometimes. And so the sadhus, they soak it in dal for half an hour, forty-five minutes and then eat it. So it is that kind of a thing. Not... Uh, so Guru Kulam means what? Going for bhiksha. It is when Lord Krishna is talking about He didn't know how the Guru Palaam will be in the 20th century (laughs) But I guess for the people living in comfort, even This also will be like this also, who knows But anyway it's a life of austerity Life of uh, Service Life of devotion And life dedicated to study They do this Yadi chanta Designing to know which know, This is what that is This is not an ordinary thing that that pada, that abode, that goal, sangrahena I will talk to you, I tell you, sangraha in brief. So, Lord is going to talk about two kinds of pada. He is going to talk about Brahman, but he is also going to talk about what we call pranava omkara, which is the symbol or the name of Brahman. And so, in the next two verses we find, And this is the style of the Upanishads also. That first of all, the, the first step is what we call upasana or meditation. And second step is the the unfolding of the of the truths. <coughs> so before the student is initiated into the teaching of Brahman, he is first initiated into meditation upon Brahman. We find this in Kathopanishad, Upanishad, in Mundaka Upanishad, many Upanishads, almost in all, most Upanishads, we find that the Upanishad of the teacher sees a need for what we call Upasana or meditation or worship. What is meant by meditation is mental worship. And before that, of course, there is worship at the physical level also. But we here assume that the students who come to study Brahmavidya from the teacher Already have a fair amount of preparation in terms of the maturity of the mind. What we mean by a maturity of the mind is a mind that is essentially free from the impact of what we said the pairs of opposites. That is, it doesn't get unsettled because it is now comfort was comfortable and now it is uncomfortable. It doesn't get unsettled. Oh, yesterday I had so much food, today I have no food, it's fine. So that is what we call emotional maturity where one is able to manage one's emotions without coming under a sway, without being overwhelmed by them. Then one, one possesses what we call a mind that enjoys a composure and it is that kind of mind that is required to understand what the Upanishads are teaching. Which means we require what we call antaḥkāna that is purification of the mind. Antahkāna is concentration or single-pointedness of the mind. We require purification of mind, which is the mind is essentially free from these impulses or reactions of lust, anger, greed, attachment, aversion, jealousy, resentment, self-condemnation. All of these are are what we call reactions or impulses. And as long as these things are there in the mind so long, mind cannot enjoy the steadiness or composure. And so that mind is not fit. Are not prepared, let us say, to understand the teaching. And so it is the preparation is required. That is where the first step is karma yoga. Performance of one's karma or actions or duties in the spirit of worship. Then comes the second step, which is called upasana or mental worship. So when you graduate from worshipping God at the level of physical action, then you gain a certain amount of Steadiness of the mind and now it is not necessary to perform actions at the physical level but you perform the worship at the level of mind So worshipping God, mental worship of God, this is called Upasana And all Upanishads or most of the Upanishads see this as a necessity for the student and therefore we find many teachers, even the Upanishads also before initiating the student into Brahmavidya, they first initiate them into upāsana or this mental worship of God So worshipping God and that's how I get tuned up with the God and then knowledge of God Understand, knowledge requires tuning up Is it not so? Suppose I want to know They take a blood sample, a drop of blood and they want to observe the bacteria in there which are microscopic things Then before I can perceive this bacteria or these microscopic things it is necessary that I should tune up with that. My eyes are not enough, I'm, I then I seek the help of a microscope and focus the microscope so that that bacteria becomes visible, the tuning up is required. So we know that in order to know anything or perceive anything it is necessary to tune up with that thing. And similarly also to know the self or know Brahman which is subtlest in the subtlest it is necessary to tune up with that. <coughs> And that is what is done through what we call worship. What is worship? Worship is nothing but identifying with God. That's called worship. There is I identify with God. What do you mean by identifying with the God? That whatever he thinks is right for me. Whatever he does is right. Whatever he thinks is right. Understand this is a process. This is called yoga. So what is yoga it is the process of identifying with god slowly slowly giving up identification from my ego or ahankara and identifying with god a totality what is meant by identifying with ahankara my own ins- agrahas insistences my own demands as to how things should be i my demand that when i do something then I must get success, I must get only this kind of reward. I demand that when people are around me that they must conduct themselves in a certain way. Every moment I demand, make demands upon things around myself, including a demand as to how the world around me should be. So this demanding individual cannot be objective. This is called subjective because when something meets with my demand, then I say, oh, it's beautiful. And something does not meet with my demand, I say, this is no good. And this is how I keep on branding things as good, not good, right, wrong. So what is meant by identifying with God? Identifying with the Creator. that so He creates this world and therefore whatever is created is fine. I perform an action okay and I get a certain result. Usually I brand the result as success or failure. Because I demand that the result should be such and such. If the result is in keeping my demand, I call it success. the result fails to fulfill my demand, I call it failure. No. Neither success nor failure. Then what? Order. When I perform an action, the result comes, it is in order. That means that is identifying with order. That is in order. Yeah, but it did not meet my expectation. That is also in order. It's beyond my expectation. That is also in order. This is called tuning up or identifying with God. <clears throat> when performing an action also, I always have my own uh, views of what I like to do. Oh, this is below my degree. I can not do this. So no. Whatever the situation calls for is fine. I look upon that as command of God. That I am placed in a situation. We keep on resisting situations also. And I wish that I was not here. I wish something else was there, which is okay. But then when I wish that I was not here, all the situation was different, I can never feel comfortable in the situation. Never. whatever I do also will not be out of comfort and never accepting that I am here, that is also in order. Oh, but you know not have to wash dishes, that is also in order. But here I have to clean the floor, that is also in order. That's what God desires, that's fine with me. Whatever he wishes is fine with me. Whatever he wishes that I should do is fine with me. Whatever he wishes is a reward for me, that is fine with me. This process of identifying with God is called yoga. And this can be done only by the person who wants to know God, not by anybody else. If you want wealth and prosperity, this process is no good. So don't adopt that if you want Swami, I, I want this and I want that, I have a lot of ambitions. Fine, have them, but then this will not work. When will this work? When my ambition is to gain the knowledge. My ambition is to gain the freedom, recognizing that my, I think by knowing the true nature of myself, that I gain freedom. If that is my agenda, then this yoga thing will work. Otherwise, it will not work. And so, people listen to the classes on Gita and they have all kinds of conflict Because they want to apply the value of Gita in their life of artha and Kama. So, they want to this. They, they still want to have value of artha and Kama. They want all comfort and pleasure. And there these values don't work. Swami, this is not practical. It is not practical, really. This becomes practical only when we know why these values are preached. They are preached to a person who has value for moksha and therefore for knowledge. Then identifying with God is fine. Swami, if everyone does this, what will happen to this world? There will be no progress. There will be no progress because this is also in order. Therefore, they don't mind. Or maybe the real progress will be there. Who knows? But if you say this is in order, then you just become like a vegetable. You are like a doormat. People walk, walk, walk all over you. That is also in order? Suppose. Not in one day. This is, I said, this comes as a result of a dhirgaka. long time and constantly and with commitment when we do, then slowly this kind of mind gets constructed. Like they tell the story of a sadhu Sadhu means a, you know, a good person, sadhu It seems that he was once taking a a bath on the bank of the river And he saw one scorpion being swept in the current of the water Immediately out of compassion for that scorpion This sadhu, this person, picked up in his palm to put it back on the On the, on the, on the shore, on on the sand but before he could do that, that scorpion stung him and he, he lost control and this fellow fell down again. Scorpion fell down in water again. He again picked up. Again the scorpion stung, again he fell down. Again picked up, again stung. This is a story. Seven times it happened. Seven times it happened. Eight times somehow he managed to put that scorpion in the dry soil and somebody was watching all this, says, what are you doing? You are, you are a fool, don't you realize that the scorpion is stinging you? says, yeah, scorpion is behaving according to his nature, I am behaving according to my nature. So that is, no, this, is, this doesn't happen in one day, but this is called sadhu. He so this is what you have to become in course of, You have to become saints. Don't think that this knowledge comes just like that, you know. We, it is necessary to bring about a growth in oneself. So, this is the process of worship. <coughs> and so, it is taken for assume that the students coming to Gurukulam already have gone through the discipline of Karma Yoga, which means that they do enjoy a mind which, is, which possesses a fair amount of purity and, and, and concentration. And now, final, fine touches are also to, are just to be given. Before you can be initiated into Brahmavidya, into knowledge of Brahman, and therefore there is initiation into what we call the mental worship. And for that the, we require what we call a, either a name or we require a symbol. Like here the image of Dakshanamuli becomes a symbol for worship of Dakshanamuli. <coughs> it is recognized that the mind needs a certain aid in order to be able to dwell upon God. Just as we require a springboard to tune up, you know, before a diver dives, he doesn't just jump into water. For in the springboard, he does this and then he dives. Or like an aeroplane doesn't fly right away. He taxing first and then take off. Still also, the mind requires that kind of a tuning up, if you want to use the word. <coughs> and for that but we require they say also the help of some image or a name or a symbol <coughs> ultimately, ultimately to become free from that we require a ladder so that we outgrow the ladder of course similarly also all images and symbols and ages are there so as to be able to ultimately grow out of them so you look at the image of Dakshinamurti and then start dwelling or thinking of Dakshinamurti the image may go away from your mind and you then meditate on Dakshinamurti you can even meditate upon image itself that also is fine or you can meditate upon what the image stands for similarly here Lord Krishna is going to present before us a very famous symbol name of God uh, for the purpose of meditation, and in the next two verses, we are told about that. <clears throat> in the verse 12. Sarvadwārāṇi saṃyamya Sarvadwārāṇi saṃyamya Manorudhi nirudhyacay आस्थितो योगधारणम् आस्थितो योगधारणम् ॐ brahma एकाक्षरं ब्रह्म ॐ इति ब्रह्म व्याहरन् how to meditate? This is what we are told. Meditate upon God with the help of a symbol or a name. And Lord Krishna presents Omkara or Pranava, which is very famous in all the Upanishads, and we are all familiar with Om, that is the name of God looked upon as one of the most appropriate name of God. Om is the Ek Aksharam. The 13th verse says, what is Om? Ek Aksharam. Om is Ek Aksharam, single syllable. In as much as God also is called Aksharam. You see, we are uh, this Aksharam means immutable. And Om also is Aksharam, meaning a single, single, single syllable word. Om also om is a word which has minimum of qualification it is a sound symbol as every word is a sound symbol expressing a certain idea similarly om is a name also a sound symbol expressing a, the idea of god and of course you must have heard this a number of times in the past about om that om consists of three matras a u and ma and O when both of them are added then it becomes O and thus we have O so O is a diphthong made up of two vowels A and O and thus we have three matras the three units here A, O, Ma or Akara, Ukara, Makara what is A? A is a sound that is produced with minimum of uh, minimum of an effort when you open the mouth and when you produce a sound as opening the mouth then the first sound that is created is A <coughs> Of course even A also requires a certain amount of effort But with the minimum amount of effort the first sound that is produced is A And when you close the mouth the sound that is produced is M So A and ma represent the beginning as well as end creation as well as Resil dissolution, and u that is in between represents all the sounds in between, and the, among this between the three, a, u, and ma, they represent all the sounds. A being that from which every sound begins, ma being that where every sound ends, and u being a representative of all the sounds in between. So between this them, these three a, u, and ma represent all the sounds. And what we call a name is nothing but a sound. Every name, Rama, Krishna, Shiva, Devadatta, whatever, every name is nothing but sound. And therefore this Akara, Ukara, Makara, Omkara, therefore includes all the names. Because it includes all the sounds. (coughs) And what is the form? They say that the name and form are inseparable. Name of the word flower and the form flower, they cannot be separated from each other. Both of them always go together. That is, when I say the word flower, immediately in your mind, a form of the flower flashes. The idea corresponding to the name flashes in the mind because name, as I said, is a sound symbol expressing a certain idea. And therefore, whenever a word is uttered part, immediately an idea corresponding to the word part flashes in the mind. That's what a sound symbol does. Sound is a, a sound symbol is a beautiful thing, like every symbol. When we utter the word part, that word part comes to an con- end. Leaving the object part in my mind. You see, when can the object part shine flash in my mind? When the word part completely gives itself up. But this is what we call the power of every word. The every word is the power of creating uh, the idea of an object that corresponds to the word. And therefore, the word and the idea associated with them, with it, cannot be separated. Abhidhana, Abhidaya, Nama or Nami. (coughs) So, word flower, object flower. Word hall, object hall. Word gurukulam, object gurukulam word man, object man, word tree, object tree and therefore this whole universe consisting of variety of objects or forms is nothing is not separate from the corresponding names is it not see this is important the object chair is not separate from the, the sound of the, the name chair or the the, the the word chair the object table cannot be separate from the word table but Swamiji suppose I call it something else that chair you know suppose I call it pair or something like that then what doesn't matter what word it is doesn't matter the idea is that corresponding to every object or every idea is always a certain concept associated in my mind a certain word or a certain form is always associated whatever that particular word may be but in short whenever I, I see an object a certain idea always occurs in my mind even if you I have not seen anything suppose, suppose I have never seen an object, I don't know its name But your mind always gives it a name When I see something, oh this is strange, alright, that's a word oh, Unbelievable, alright, that's a concept Oh I have never seen this before, a concept The idea is that corresponding to every object Or everything that I perceive There is always a, a, a concept that is created in my mind This is what we call the name of the word And that's all included in the Om and never. Om includes all the names and all the names include all the forms and the world consists of nothing but the various forms and therefore Om encompasses the entire creation. What we call Saguna Brahman Brahman as manifest or Brahman or God as manifest as the entire creation. But Swami, you say that Brahman ultimately is beyond or is, is devoid of all the names and forms? Yes. Then Om 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 this one is uttered then om when the makara comes to an end and om the next a is not yet begun and between the two sounds of om there is what we call the silence the silence which is without any dimension without any form and that silence represents the that same God which is without forms and names what we call adhisthanam or substratum, <coughs> and that is how Om is a name which is complete in as much as it represents both God with attributes as well as God free from the attributes. <coughs> Saguna Brahma and Nirguna Brahma. And therefore you can use this name for meditating upon either Brahman with attributes or Brahman beyond the attributes. Of course what is true about Om is also true about any name. Is it a Rama. Or Krishna or Shiva or whatever. It's not that you do change it and when come to Aum. Oh Swami, but I have been only reciting the name of Shiva, doesn't matter. That also can be explained. Rama, every word can be explained. Gra- the grammarians will explain every word to mean both Saguna Brahma and Nirguna Brahma. <coughs> In short, here we are talking about meditating or worshipping God with the help of a word symbol Aum. Of course every noun, every of each one of these words, lot of mystical connotations also because this is coming down to us in centuries And that is how Upanishads present Om as the most effective Eta There are many names and many symbols are there of them Omkara is looked upon as most exalted and most effective <coughs> That's the reason why Upanishads initiate the students into Om Of course they always they warn that not everybody and anybody should repeat this om because om has this property or this characteristic that it brings about what we call dispassion brings about a freedom from attachments and things and therefore om this should be uttered or or chanted by those who are either sannyasis who are renuncias or who are committed to renunciation. But if it happens that you are a householder and lot of commitments and duties are there, you cannot afford to have mind that is indifferent to things. So, Sri Ram, that is good. Or, Navashiva is fine. But otherwise, yes, if you are committed to what we call Nivritti, there is what Pravritti and Nivritti, engagement and disengagement. If you are committed to retirement, if you are committed to being with yourself, if it is not necessary for you to to have, to have the, uh, the, the commitments with reference to activities outside, other than bare minimum activities, then it's fine. <coughs> but anyway, so this is Om. That's why Om it is. In the 13th verse, Lord Krishna says, Om is the Ekaksharam Brahma, Vyaharan, this Om, there is a single syllable name or a word symbol for the Lord, Vyaharam, uttering Om, mentally uttering. In the beginning, you utter with your organ of speech. But slowly and slowly, you utter in the mind. So here, Lord Krishna is talking about uttering Om, or Rama, or Krishna, or Shiva, or whatever. Either a name or a, or, a, or a chant, like Om Namas Shivaya. Whatever you are reciting, Vyahan, reciting that in the mind. Manusmaran At the same time, remembering me also. So, remembering means what Aum stands for. So, when the word Aum is recited, then the flesh of the flesh in the mind also the meaning that goes with the word Aum. Just as when I say pat, immediately mind also flashes the concept of pat. So it just doesn't, it doesn't merely stop at remaining a word, but the word always creates a concept. Similarly also, when we utter the name of any name, the concept of the Lord, that is associated with that, gets created. Anusmaran, and so, remembering me. Yav tyajandeham sayati paramamgatim Thus re-uttering my name and thinking of me, that that is the meaning of the name. When one departs from this body, this is all about the Arjuna's question, O Lord, how are you to be known by the by the yogis who have gained mastery over themselves? How are you to be known? So Lord Krishna is describing that. Sayadiparamamgatim, so, he goes to the most exalted land, which means that he gains an identification with what that Om stands for. <coughs> but that requires the twelfth verse it requires certain preparation before we are able to do this. So what does the twelfth verse say? Uh, Sarvat Dvarani closing all the sense organs. So, for performing this meditation, slowly and slowly we should gain this kind of uh, facility with ourselves. Sarvat Dvarani Controlling all the gates there are different gates through which the stimuli from outside come with to us. So what is it that disturbs the mind? What is it that disturbs the concentration of the mind? The various stimuli reaching the outer world into the mind. And for the stimuli to reach the mind, these various sense organs are like the gates. And so the sounds, they enter through the gate of these ears, the faculty of hearing, and impact the mind. The forms enter through the eyes, impact the mind. The taste, the touch, the smells all of these enter through the various organs of perception which are comparable to gates and enter the mind and impact the mind and it's possible that they will influence the mind so here Lord Krishna says that you should close all the gates like when we fall asleep all the gates are closed and regardless of what's happening outside nothing impacts me but this is to be done while being awake that close the gates meaning that let the mind not be impacted by the stimuli coming from the outside. Being indifferent to whatever stimuli is come, doesn't matter what sound it is, doesn't matter what form it is, doesn't matter what taste it is, or doesn't matter what smell it is, that my mind does not get in any way impacted by this. This is called closing the doors. In short, we should also live a life where there is the cinema or the control. That if See, what happens is people want to meditate for half an hour a day, and they warned that everything should be perfect at that time. But it's also important what kind of life I live for 23 and a half hours. If during that time, if during my day-to-day activities, if there's no control at all over what I talk, and what I see, and what I hear, and what I taste, whatever comes in my mind I talk, whatever I see I eat, and if there's no control, then I cannot expect that while meditating that all these, this will cooperate with me, they won't. So it calls for a life of, also, self-control, overall. We have five gates of perception and five organs of action. And therefore, slowly and slowly, a controlling discipline. By control, we do not mean I stop talking. No, a discipline. That I talk, I say what I want to say. Very often we just, oh, Swamiji, I didn't realize I, would, I said that, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, I didn't want to eat it, Swamiji, it's so good, so tempting. This is my weakness. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just control myself. Oh, that I, I, I heard that a new movie has come in, such and theater. So I couldn't resist that. So we cannot resist things. What it means is that we are made to do things, whether we like them or not. So the various uh, uh, temptations, or the various fascinations, or the, the attractions which are there in my mind. They seem to control me rather than my controlling them. And thus becoming a person of my own. I do, my mind does what I want it to do. My organs, my hand does what I want it to do. Not that hand independently keeps doing something, you know, I don't even know. Or body keeps doing something, you know. That I am a control. That is a yogi. One who has control over everything. Not suppression, understand. Not starving, not depriving, but control. I have a certain set of values. I think that this is right and this is proper, this is not proper, and that all my faculties remain within those values. If that kind of a sinema or self-control is there, then when I want it, come on eyes now, don't bother about what's outside, okay. Otherwise they will. See, when you are sitting in the class, moment, some moment happens that immediately you have to see every, you know, you see everybody looking there, some sound comes, everybody hearing that. At that time, this poor uh, the speaker here, he keeps talking. Nobody listens to that because if something happens there, let's say. Sometimes, you know, we have this lizard and things like that, you know, and they are jumping up and down there. Or sometimes there are some insects crawling, not here, but there in India you find sometimes, you know. People count number of uh, ants and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> so this is how uh, unsteady our mind is; that it can be distracted by anything. And so discipline means that not being subject to this kind of distraction. That's all it means. Then. After a long practice, it may be possible that I may be able to shut the gates of my sense organs so that the outer stimuli do not disturb me. Mano Rudin Rudhyacha I'm drawing the mind into the heart. Now, first making myself free from the the disturbance of outer stimuli and then making myself free from the inner stimuli. Inner likes and dislikes and stuff like that, that mind is made free from that also. Murdnya, Adhaya Pranam, the whole of my personality consisting of the body, sense organs, mind, prana all of this is totally in harmony. Otherwise the prana does something, mind does something else, sense organs do something else all of this is in harmony. When the whole personality is in harmony then in my mind I recite the name of God and I and since I have listened to the scriptures and I know what it means, then the name also it, by along with the utterance of the name also arises in my mind the concept that God that stands for that name, and this my mind is completely occupied with the idea of God, where reciting or uttering the name becomes an aid. If you can do without that is fine, but here. That om is what one utters, the yogi utters, and so as so that the idea of God also occurs in his mind. And thus in total identification with Brahman, when he departs from his body, he becomes one with Brahman. This is the, the process of meditation and the worship is being told in these two verses. And then subsequently we will also be told about Aksharam Brahman, the immutable Brahman. Okay. <coughs> Om Purana Marap Purana Midam Purana Purana Mudachade Puranasya Purana Madhaya Purana Shanti Vashashade Om Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashyagrata Vande Bhagavan Kalpunapunaha Ishvaro Guru मूर्ति Murti Bheda Vibhaginaya Vyomavadhyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Om Shanti Hari Om Shri